I'm sure about that. You uh, you didn't know that, huh? You didn't know that. So, Marla and others maybe as well. He's a big Michigan fan. They're playing Louisville right now. So, how, how are they doing, Marla? You haven't been looking at the score, even though you have one of those smartphones. And you could do that. I am so impressed, not only that you came to church today, but that you are not looking at your phone. Here's a man who loves Jesus. Marlon Shows, ladies and gentlemen. Marlon Shows. By the way, I just checked the score. Should I tell you what it is? No. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn, John chapter 2, we're beginning, or continuing actually, our series about how Jesus motivated others. And we're trying to learn what we can learn so that we can be the very best positive influence, motivating each other, helping each other in our spiritual journey, being those kind of people. I've said it several times, but even if you don't believe in Jesus, the principles that Jesus demonstrates are ones that will help us in our life in being a positive influence, motivating others, whether we're at work or in our relationships and our families, uh, marriages, parenting, all of that. But specifically, we want to help each other in our, our spiritual journey. And Jesus was a master motivator. He took 12 uncommon or common, unschooled, ordinary men. And uh, through about a three-year period, he was able to change their lives and turn the world upside down. And it's a great uh, lesson, a lot for us to learn today. So we've had three lessons already, very practical lessons. I just want to remind you, maybe you haven't been here, so you, you can know that I'm trying to give you one simple thing each week that you can apply to your life that will help you to be more motivational and a positive influence in the lives of people around you. And so the three all have been from John chapter 1, the three things that we've looked at so far. The first thing was that Jesus, in his conversation, asked questions. High mileage questions. He was interested in what was on people's heart. He drew them out. He cared about their dreams. He cared about their feelings. He got to know them because you can't really help somebody if you don't really know who they are. And people need to feel that you care enough to want to know who they are. And that's motivational. The second thing we learned there in John chapter 1 is the importance of expressing a vision that we have for each other. Jesus had a vision for Peter. He shared that, expressed that. And we need people in our lives. We motivate by expressing the vision we have for other people around us. And the third thing we did in our last lesson was we talked about Jesus uh, expressed and recognized the good in other people. There was a story with Nathaniel, and he recognized the good in him. And you're never going to motivate somebody just by focusing on what's wrong with them. And we all need to see and know that other people who are trying to help us recognize the good in us. And so we talked about that, and today we will continue on. I think today's lesson will perhaps be obvious to you, but it's something we still need to hear and be reminded of. I want you to think for a moment of all the people or the people in your life who have had the most positive motivational influence on you. When you think about who those people are, I can expect, and I would expect, that in every or almost every situation, 
they are also people who've invested a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of heart in your relationship. In their relationship with you. Am I right about that? We think about our parents and we think about our uh, teachers maybe or coaches or a boss that was a great mentor that was a great influence on us or a spiritual mentor in the church. It's always, almost always, if not always, someone who has invested a lot in the relationship that we have with them. They've invested a lot of time. And so this is actually, I think we already know this. I hope it's not too obvious for you. We need to motivate those. We need to invest in the relationship with each other. And that's what Jesus did. And that shouldn't surprise us at all, uh, being who he was. We're going to pick up in John chapter 2. And I find this uh, very, very interesting. If you uh, weren't here before... Jesus, in chapter 1, met five guys who were now just new relationships, brand new relationships. In a two-day period, he met five different guys who were at least following him in some way. And that's Andrew, John, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. So he has known these guys for two days, right? And so we looked in chapter 1 and all that. And so then we begin in chapter 2, and let's see what happens. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come, but his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So we'll stop there, and you may or may not know the rest of the story. Jesus does the first recorded miracle. He turned water into wine. If you're going to have a party, you'd like Jesus to be there. And so, anyway, the the situation is very interesting to me. They were, they've been in Bethany. And so now there's this wedding in Cana, and you have to know a little bit about the geography. It's about 30 miles away. He has known these guys two days. There may be more than five, but he brings these five guys to this wedding that evidently his mother is at least somewhat in charge of. In fact, she might be in charge of the reception. And so it says that Jesus and uh, his disciples, and by the way, that's a word that I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's used a lot in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It just means a follower of Jesus, somebody who's decided to be a student or a learner of Jesus. And so these guys were brand new. But Jesus says he's investing in them. He wants them to come with him to this wedding. It says they were invited, but clearly if they got an invitation, it was a last-minute invitation, right? And so, they're having a wedding, and in those days, going to a wedding wasn't just you showed up in the afternoon, or you showed up in the evening, and, you know, they had a reception, all that. Weddings lasted for days then. And so what would happen is, that in the Jewish wedding at that time, they would get together, and they would have the ceremony, and instead of the married couple going off to the honeymoon, they went off to their house, and wherever they were staying, and then they came back the next day, and the next day, and, they, and the party just went on and on. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And so they have this party, and so, sure enough, 
after some period of time, they run out of wine. And let me just tell you, I don't know if you plan a lot of parties or host a lot of parties, but you want to make sure you have plenty of alcohol there. Not to get drunk, of course, but they ran out of wine. That was a problem. And so I could just sort of see Jesus' mother. And, you know, I, I don't know, it's maybe, again, my twisted sense of humor and my imagination of well. But what I picture is, you know, her saying, you know, I'm in charge of this reception, and I thought I had plenty of wine, and then you brought these five extra guys with you. And so, you caused this problem, now you need to fix this problem. Does that make sense to you? And, of course, she has some sense of who Jesus is. And she knows maybe he hasn't done any public miracles. She knows that he can do something and he does do the something. But the significant thing, I think, is that Jesus is investing already days with these guys. And it turns out that the rest of the story, this is, remember, this is the very beginning where he's just starting out. The story of the four Accounts of the life, death, ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When you read them together, and if you haven't read them, I encourage you to read them. And it's fascinating reading. And you read those, and you're going to learn about the teaching of Jesus. And you're going to learn about the character of Jesus. And you're going to learn a lot of stuff. But what you're going to see, what you cannot miss if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the overwhelming pattern of what Jesus did in his ministry was he spent time, he invested time in these 12 guys. You see it over and over again. This is the way it starts and this is the way it continues. And in fact, if we go back to chapter 1, the first time he met Andrew and John, what does it say? He had that conversation with him. He asked him, what do you want? They spent the day with him. They're investing time. He's investing time in the relationship with them. And then they go to the wedding. It turns out, look down, they go to this wedding and he brings them along, even though I don't know that there's any reason to believe they knew who the bride and groom were. It was a chance to be together and it was a chance to party. So there you go. But it says in verse 12, what happened after the wedding? After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brother, Brothers and his disciples, they stayed there for a few more days. So what's he still doing? He's still investing in the relationship with them. He brings them back to the house. I don't know if Jesus' mother was all that excited about that. You know, if you've been a parent before, you've had your child show up at the door with friends that and ask them to, you know, stay over, stay for dinner, spend the night, and you didn't anticipate that. Does that have any parents here? I don't know if they were excited about that. But what happened? Jesus brought them along, the guys along, and maybe there was more than five. Eventually there were. In the beginning there was five at least. And then they spent several days in Capernaum with the family. And then you know what it says well after that? There was a next thing it says, there was a, a feast in Jerusalem, the Passover feast, one of the major Jewish holidays. And Jerusalem was about eighty five miles away. They all went down. You know what Jesus did a lot of with his guys? They took a lot of road trips. They went camping a lot. They lived it was just this big adventure. 
But they spent time together. They went to feast together. They shared their lives together. They shared their faith together. They cried together. They prayed together. They served together. They sang together. And you know what else they do, which is what good friends do? They fought with each other. Because who ever heard of a close friendship where you don't fight with each other? Who ever heard of a marriage where you don't fight with each other? You know, I don't want to ask for a raise of hands. But I think it's pretty obvious, right? You take two people who love each other deeply, and you put them in the same closed space for any length of time. How long does it take for sparks to fly? You know, sometimes it doesn't happen very often, but occasionally somebody will tell me, you know, me and my wife, we've been married for how many years, and we've never had a single fight. And I think, I go, I don't always say it, because I'm trying to be a Christian here. Uh, What I think is, when somebody says that, I go, either you're lying, that's my first thought, or you have such a shallow relationship, and you never talk or communicate or share your heart or your feelings with each other, and you must just live in separate worlds. Because how can you share the same checkbook, in the same bed, in the same kitchen, in the same home, in the same car, in the same keys, and, you know, get along forever and ever, right? It's just the way it works. But in any friendship, it works that way. I want you to be, maybe this isn't a new idea, I want you to be reminded, I want you to be astounded again at the investment that Jesus made in his relationships. And you know, they did fight with each other. Of course, in this situation, Jesus never had to do any apologizing. That's different, isn't it? Usually, you know, we all get our chance, right? Usually both of us get our chance. You get in a bump with somebody, a fight with somebody, a friend, a relative, a family member, a husband, a wife. But you know what? They always, they always happened. Even when they had, they fought, but they always made up. There was always forgiveness. There was always reconciliation. There was always restoration. You know, and we see some, just a sum of the record of the, the conversation, the events that happened. But a lot of the stuff that happened and will happen when you spend and invest this much time together is just spontaneous stuff that's not planned and unanticipated. Right? Like marriage. But it's that way in friendship. When you spend enough stuff happens. And more than anything, what Jesus had which I think enabled him to motivate these guys, is he had, through all these adventures they went on this time and all their experiences, a lot of them, they just had conversations on top of conversations on top of conversations. And many days, it probably seemed like nothing significant was happening. I think a lot of times, friendship and influence... Is, is subtle and it's built over time and then occasionally there are momentous occasions, right? There, there are those life-changing moments. And there were those with Jesus. But if we are going to have relationships where we can motive, we're going to have to invest in our relationships. Is that right? When I first came to this church, I was a college student many years ago, And I was immediately impressed, the church that I went to there in Gainesville, Florida, it was about a thousand people there. 
And I'd been going to church a lot in my life, but I had never seen a large group of people like that who came together to worship, and they were so passionate, and they sang, and they smiled, and they hugged, and they read their Bibles, and they were just excited about their faith. And I, I, I wondered how that happened. And maybe you had an experience like that, maybe the first time you came to this church, I don't know. But what I found out pretty quickly is that it wasn't something that just, it wasn't because they just had a great worship service on Sunday and the music was good and the sermon was good, even though the music was good and the sermon was good. It was because their relationships that they had with during the week and the, the, the key to it was small groups and friendships. And then people who were investing in each other in their relationships throughout the week were motivating each other and helping each other. How much are you investing in your relationships? You know, I, wanna, I want you to understand this. Because I believe it's true. Your potential to influence or motivate somebody else in a positive way is directly, your potential is directly proportional to how much you invest in that relationship. And you know, in the church here, if you're new to the church, I learned this first when I started out so many years ago. But even today, I can tell you that I believe the key is still the same. The ministry of Jesus. It's small groups and it's friendships. It's relationships where we invest in each other. I feel very fortunate because the first ten years of my journey of faith, after deciding to follow Jesus, I had a man named Sam Lang, who you may or may not know, but he showed me what it meant to be a friend, and he was a friend to me. And he helped me understand that, and he motivated me through our relationship. For the last 25 plus years, the main person has been Marty Fuquay. He's motivated me through our relationship, through our friendship. I'm very excited. My, my friend Bob Harpole is part of our ministry here. And Bob is a very motivating guy. And I hope you get a chance to know him. He and his wife Barbara knew the ministry here. But Bob is fantastic. He has helped me so much in my life. But one of the reasons that he's helped me is because we've invested so much in our relationship. For 25 years, we are together at least once a week. Is that right, Bob? The average is actually more than that. It's usually one or two times a week. And sometimes, you know, we'll spend a whole week together. We'll go on a vacation together. or We'll do whatever we would do. Bob is a fantastic Christian. If you don't know him, let me tell you this. I don't know how many of you like me or not, but it's okay. I can understand. I'm not always likable. Get to know Bob. He is extremely likable. And if you like me, you'll love Bob. I mean, he is kind. He is gentle. He is wise. He, is, he motivates me. He inspires me. He's a true friend. He forgives me. 
And I try to give him as few opportunities as possible, <laughs> however those opportunities come up. Because when you live in the same space, things are going to come up. But we got to invest in each other. Have we got that picture of uh, Kevin Field? Can we put that up? So I guess it's not on the monitor. I'll just take take this off so I can look at the picture with you. You know, I wanted to, uh, the title of the sermon, by the way, is from John chapter 15. That sounds a little bit weird. Is there an echo or something? just sounds different. Does this sound good to you? Good. It's just me that's weird. That, that happens a lot, actually. It's not the first or the last time that'll happen. But in John 15, we don't have time to read it now. When Jesus got to the very end of his time on earth, he spent the better part of three years with these guys. And in John 15, verse 15, he says something very important, which I think summarizes how Jesus motivated and, and, and how his ministry was. He says, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you friends. The title of the sermon today is, I have called you friends. Because you can motivate people. If you're like Jesus, you motivate people through friendship. And you know, it must have been awkward for those guys with Jesus. Because Jesus was the Son of God, and so He was Lord. And they knew that from the beginning, and that's why they were following Him. And, you know, in one sense they were servants, and they always would be servants. But Jesus said, you know, I didn't treat you like you were servants. I didn't talk down to you. I didn't look down on you. I didn't put myself up here and you down here. You know what we had? We had a friendship. That's how you motivate people. You like people talking down to you? You like people looking down at you? You like people acting like they're better than you? Thank you, Mary Kay. Mary Kay was very vocal on that. Thank you. Anyway, that's... And, you know, and it's, so, it's so sad when we do that, or if we do that. He of Jesus, the Son of God, who was perfect and never committed a sin, and He didn't treat these guys like they were under Him or less than Him. They were friends. Well, our friend uh, Kevin Field passed away. And um, some of you have been praying for, you, for me today. I, 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 this was one of those days I did not feel like preaching today. Because Kevin was a, a good friend. I know I'm not the only one here who felt. And, and I guess, I just have to be honest, I, I don't do death very well. I mean, I know Kevin was a strong Christian and Kevin was a faithful Christian. And I'm, I'm sure that he's going to be in heaven and eternal life and we all have the opportunity to be with him there and, but it's just tough losing him but a lot of things that we appreciate about Kevin one of the things that some of you might not know is that Kevin led a small group for the last 10 years or so that was entirely made up of men who were a little older and some of them were single and some of them were divorced and some of them, none of them had, either, some of them were married, but their wives were not a part of the church. So it was just a bunch of guys, a bunch of older guys. And you know, for years, 
what they did was they met together every Wednesday night. If we didn't have a midweek here at church, they met together every week. These men did. And they had jobs. And they had families. And many of them had children. And they didn't all live very close together either. Some of them lived way out in San Bernardino Valley. And they met in Glendale. And they would come together on Wednesday. And that group was an example of a group led by Kevin that invested in each other. And they had deep friendships. And they loved each other. And sometimes they, they were very real and very honest and very open with each other. And I hope that your small group is that way. If you're in the church, and if you're not a part of the church yet, join a small group. Get in a small group. Meet regularly. Share your lives. It, their lives were messy. They had problems. There were sin problems. There were life challenges. There were lots of stuff going on. They invited me over to their group several times to sit down with them and try to help them work through stuff. And it was great. It was always a joy. And they were always fantastic. They motivated each other's lives. And Kevin, in many ways, led the way in that as the leader of the small group. So let me just close with this, hopefully letting Kevin be an inspiration. I know we're all busy, and I know that we've all got a lot going on, and most of us have jobs, and the ones that don't have jobs, we're praying for you to get a job. But you have relationships, and you may have children, and you've got a lot of stuff going on. You are never going to be able to influence or motivate, and you're never going to be motivated and get the help that you need if you do not invest in relationships, small groups, and in personal friendships. It's not going to happen. Now, in this church, again, if you're new to church here, we're a church of small groups and, and, and friendships. And we encourage everybody to be a part of a small group. Now, with the small groups, what I encourage the small groups to do is to meet once a week. But I do not... I, I let the small groups choose how much they want to meet. And some of them meet, meet every week, and some of them meet every other week, and some of them meet once a month. Let me just suggest this to you. I will say this as nicely as possible. If you meet every other week, instead of every week in your small group, you have half as much potential of being a positive, motivational influence on each other. If you meet once a month, instead of once a week, you have 25% of the potential and opportunity to influence each other and motivate each other to be more like Jesus. If you have relationships, and sometimes we call them discipleship partners, and we don't normally say those that in church, but it's just a description of a friendship, a Christian friendship, where we're trying to help each other, and we have discipleship partners. If you meet once every couple of weeks, and you just meet for an hour, and that's it, and you go home and you never connect in any other way during those two weeks, I'm not saying that's not helpful. I'm not saying that's not good. I'm not saying that's not going to produce good. But you just got to lower your expectations. But if you met every week, and if you met for more time, and you did more things together, and you shared your life together, more, the more you invest your time with other people, the more opportunity you have to influence them. And to be influenced spiritually. So I want to encourage you. 
just to ask you to make a little self-evaluation today about how much you're investing in each other. You know, Kevin's group, some of you may know, has been through a lot of hard times lately. Albert Hill was in that group, and he passed away last fall. Now Kevin's the leader. He's passed away. Roy Anderson has moved away. Sammy Rizzoli has moved away. Paul Blakely has serious health issues. In fact, he's in uh, first stage kidney failures, going in for dialysis tomorrow. Dr. Ken Lewis has a lot of health issues. He's uh, just told me yesterday he's going to have to have a knee replacement. He's had back problems. And besides that, he's a doctor and, you know, all that stuff. But I will say this. This group has been through a lot of challenges. You can imagine being part of that group. As far as I know, every single one of the guys in that group is a strong and faithful Christian who loves the Lord. And that's what we want to be is that kind of influence on each other. We're going to have our newcomers reception now. If you're new to the church again, invite, join us for some light refreshments over here in the fellowship hall. Uh, let's play, pray together as we conclude this part of our service. God, thank you for the example of Jesus and how he motivated. Help us to learn from him today and the importance of investing in our relationships and our friendships in order to help be an influence and motivate each other in the greatest possible way. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Enjoy the rest of your day.